0: i'm rachel perkins and you're listening to the nordic nation podcast from faster skier at 24 years old julia kern is quickly becoming a seasoned veteran in her seventh year on the u.s ski team however her career trajectory has been stepwise not exponential After making breakthroughs during the 2019-2020 season, including her first World Cup podium in a skate sprint in Planica, Slovenia, she faced injuries and setbacks heading into the following season in 2020-2021, leaving her walking away from that season feeling disappointed in both her World Cup and World Championship racing. Reflecting on her takeaways in an interview that summer, she said progress isn't linear from season to season. While she's a standout on the race course, she's also becoming known for her resilience, grit, and grace as an athlete holistically, as noted by her nomination as the 2022 recipient of the U.S. Nordic Olympic Women's Gold Rush Award. This past year, she had strong early season races, but dealt with a sequence of mild illnesses that interrupted her momentum. The Beijing Olympics weren't what she was hoping for, but then, her late season racing made it hard to watch the World Cup come to a close. Julia discusses all of this and more, but before we jump in, here's a quick note from our episode sponsor, New Moon Bike and Ski. New Moon Ski and Bike is located in the beautiful Northwoods region just outside of Hayward, Wisconsin. The region is home to the country's largest cross-country ski race, the American Berkebeiner, and has over 100 kilometers of cross-country ski trails that stretch from Cable to Hayward. Some have named the trails as the number one cross-country ski destination in the entire U.S., The Berkey trails are groomed and maintained throughout the winter for both skate and classic. Or, ditch the skis altogether and go fat biking instead. Hayward boasts more than 50 miles of groomed fat bike trails to choose from. New Moon has ski and fat bike rentals available with experts ready for waxing and repair services. New Moon is the area's premier shop for skis, snowshoes and fat bikes, clothing, accessories, expert fitting, and outstanding customer service. When in Hayward, look for them on Highway 63 in the Big Log Chalet or check them out online at newmoonski.com. Welcome. Thank you for taking the time to do this. I want to start with a little bit of going back into your background in the sport. So you grew up in Waltham, Mass, and I think kind of started got your start skiing at the Weston Ski Track, which is... A golf course in the summertime and um, my husband actually grew up a couple towns over from Waltham and when I, I asked him like what what sports would you associate with somebody who you know like went to Waltham High like coming out of Waltham High and it's not skiing right so can you talk about your introduction to skiing and just how that kind of evolved into competitive skiing and like was there a program for you to work with and just kind of how did all of that happen um, coming out of kind of a Boston suburb that is not necessarily a a ski town? So I was thankful enough that my parents introduced
1: me to cross-country skiing. Um, So my family background is actually German. Both my parents are from Germany and they came to the U.S. when my sister was three or four years old. So I'm the only true American of the family, but the cross-country skiing really is rooted from my mom's side of the family. Um, So I grew up you know, every Christmas in Germany, we'd all ski as a family. And so that's how I got started on the skis. I was in the ski sled until I could walk. Then I was put on skis immediately. So starting at a young age, cross-country skiing was something I did with my family for fun. And fortunately in the Boston area, there is the Weston Ski Track, which is only a five, 10 minute drive from my house uh, growing up. So it was really easy to go there and learn how to ski. And they have a huge youth ski program that then they compete in the bill coke festival every year which is a really good way to get kids into nordic skiing and make it really fun and not super competitive we got lollipops when we were like our first year just for participating so it's called the lollipop races so that's how i got introduced to it and so embk is the eastern mass bill coke ski league um club based out of the golf course in weston so i grew up skiing with them Um, and yeah, throughout the years, my parents helped coach, um, the team, as long as like Jim Stock who's Corey Stock's dad. So there was a bunch of parent coaches, uh, leading the program and just made it really fun skiing. We played games on skis. The Weston ski track obviously doesn't have as much terrain to offer maybe as the places now I normally ski. So you had to keep it exciting, but it was plenty to have fun on skis with your friends. So that's how I was introduced to. Nordic skiing and Nordic racing. That's where I did my first races. And then uh, when I hit high school, I um, joined the Cambridge Sports Union, which is essentially now is called EMXC. Um, it's the, the next step from the EMBK program for high schoolers. So that's then when I started com- racing more competitively. My freshman year of high school, I was 14 joined that team and uh, I played a lot of other sports as you mentioned Waltham High like not known for cross country skiing so I was playing basketball and soccer and track so doing all the sports and was really focused on basketball at the time but my freshman year of high school I ended up having an injury and training no pole, and that seemed to get me in really good shape because that come that winter I made my first 18 trip and that really just opened my eyes to what was possible. And I shifted gears towards ski racing.
0: After high school, you did a PG year at SMS. Is that right?
1: Yeah. So I did a partial PG year there. I, so I did, I was supposed to do summer, fall and winter, but I had surgery in the summer. So I was in Park City in the summer and then rehabbing from that. And then I spent the fall and the winter, uh, based out of Stratton with a few other PGs, including Lauren Dortberg, who's now on the SMS T2 team. So it's fun to be back together in Stratton Um, so yeah I did that and then come spring when the ski season was over I started at Dartmouth so it's like a a partial or almost a full gap year.
0: What did your NCAA skiing look like at Dartmouth and what was your timeline for graduation and, and what brought you back to Stratton for the T2 program?
1: So I was fortunate that I could ski college in a way and still be a part of the SMS T2 team So after my gap year, I joined the SMS T2 team, but then also was training with the Dartmouth team. So I, with my normal enrollment, if I hadn't done a gap year, just started, I started as a 2019 graduate at Dartmouth, but I wasn't really sure what exactly my plan would be. I wanted to see, like, do I do the 12-year plan, which is only Springs, or do I do two terms a year? So I, I really didn't know what, how long it was going to take me. And so I did that spring, took the summer off, did a fall, took the winter off. And then I ended up doing three years in a row of spring, summer, fall. So I essentially reversed my school schedule, took the winter term off instead of the summer term and um, did three years, three full course load years at Dartmouth and was fortunate to train with the Dartmouth team. I was fully a part of the team. Um, I kept my NCAA eligibility so, I was at Dartmouth training the team, unless I was at a US ski team campus in class or in between terms, or if I had two weeks between spring and summer, I would go to Stratton and be supported by them. so, Cami was very helpful in navigating being on the Dartmouth team, the SMST2 team, and the US ski team at the same time. Um, I had plenty of support from all over. And so, I ended up graduating in 2021 to so last spring. Um, I took like a, essentially a whole year for my last term. So I did it in about four and a half, five years.
0: And what was it, what has it been about Stratton that has kind of brought you back? You know, I guess you started there for PG, but then in choosing a program that you would ski with post-collegiately or just more on a professional level, what is it about Stratton that kind of brought you there?
1: Stratton was really supportive through my college and ski racing. So they're, they're there to support me and no matter what form that took. And um, I really valued the training group there because it was very professional, but the coaches and Suri Caldwell who runs the program really understood that it's not just full-time skiing is the only way and full-time college isn't also the only way it's very person dependent. And so Pat O'Brien, my coach for the last seven years had seen, okay, this is a good fit. Do some school and do some full-time ski racing and, kind of get the best of both worlds. And so they were there supporting me for what's best for me as an athlete and as an individual. Despite that meaning maybe I wasn't training with the T2 team all the time. They were there to support me when I needed it. So that understanding of the bigger picture of development long term and having performance in a long career, college was something I wanted to do and kept me happy and balanced. And so they knew Julia wants to ski for a long time. She needs to do that. And so it was really natural to then continue with Stratton when I graduated because I was already partially on the team um, the last seven years. And so um, I think it's the training group, uh, obviously Jesse and I get along really well together, but just the really strong group of people who want to work together and push each other in a productive way. So I'm just always amazed at how our team is able to push each other, but um, not try to beat each other and put each other down or trying to make each other stronger and so on a given interval day two people in the front will be rotating through to pull against the wind if they're feeling really good and everyone else is like okay I'm going to hang in the back like I just need the draft today or I'm going to drop back or I'm going to do an extra one because I'm feeling good and there's no competitiveness around that it's just I need to do what I'm here to do but I want to work together and help everyone get better and work together and so when Jesse's feeling feeling really strong, she'll pull in the front. And so we can actually ski quite fast in the draft and get a really good workout in without pushing it too hard. And so I think ultimately it's a family and a community of people working hard to bring each other up and get better collectively together, which that environment really uh, suits me well. And I love having a team. I don't like training alone a lot and we do a lot together naturally. And so that's been really productive environment to be in.
0: Can you talk a little bit about I think your your name and kind of Haley and Hannah and Catherine Ogden when you guys sort of came on the radar for a lot of people was the 2017 World Juniors in Soldier Hollow. Can you talk a little bit about just where that fell in the timeline of kind of you know this what you're talking about with your your background and just how that you know earning that relay medal affected the trajectory of your career, whether that's sort of like a belief component, whether that's opening doors, you know, making teams, some of those kinds of things. And, and just what did that kind of mean to you looking back?
1: That was in 2017. That would mean I was, I think, my first full year in college at that point um, at Dartmouth. And so I think that moment was really inspiring for me and for others and for us as a group. And Haley, H- Catherine, Hannah, and I like were put into a group naturally, but also we were all really good friends kind of coming up together as the, the young skiers that um, were just dreaming big. And I remember we had been on a, we were at a park city camp um, the, the year before, maybe two years before. And we we're like, Oh, it'd be so cool if we could get a medal at world juniors because in our time looking back and during our world juniors experiences, we were getting like eighth, ninth, 10th, nowhere, nowhere close to that. And seeing the women on the world cup achieve that um, made us believe that, Hey, like, why can't we do this? And why, why, why can't we be up there? And so we were working hard together at this camp saying, Hey, this would be really cool if we could all come together, work really hard with our home clubs and then come together at training camps, push each other and um, ultimately medal. And we didn't even know if we were all going to be on the same relay team or selected for it because still had to be the fastest ones there. And um, so it was a really special moment to do that despite odds. Like I was, I got so sick during world juniors. I wasn't even sure I was going to start. And um, the other girls really pulled through on that day. And it wasn't that all of us had this breakout day. It was just that, our team was so solid in depth that even though some like some people didn't maybe have the best leg, we collectively could do that together. And then on home soil was extra special. So that really made me think, okay, if we can do this at the world juniors level, when that's never been done before, what can we do on the world cup when we're older? Because the world cup athletes now weren't achieving this at our level at that age. And so I think um, a lot of people were looking towards that. And I think what was also really unique in that realization at that time, we, Hannah, Haley, Catherine, and I all branched in very different directions with school and skiing and what was going on. And we eventually all kind of split apart and had our different paths in skiing and different mixes of school and set various setbacks too. And in the end, the last two years, we all started to come back together. And so it was, Interesting to see that there's not like one right way to do it and that we all took our own path, but in the end came back together, which was really special.
0: Moving forward, maybe into this past season, any Olympic year and especially your first Olympic year, that's going to be a big, a big goal. You know, early season racing is pretty important for that team selection, um, meeting the different criteria and things like that. So can you talk through, you know, early season, some of the seemingly big, big events were um, you, you and Jesse got second in the team sprint in Dresden. Uh, Lenzer Hyde, you were fourth in um, the freestyle sprint there. So looking back on period one, can you talk through just, you know, how you were feeling going through that? What some of your goals were? And just, you know, as as you're coming out of period one, kind of where you where your mindset was.
1: Yeah, during period one, I this year particularly wanted to come in a little bit hotter than in the past because as many people know from the U.S., period one is really brutal. Everyone in Scandinavia, the Europeaners, they're all in really good form because they have to fight for their World Cup spots for the season there. And they've been often on snow racing maybe up to a month before and we get there seven, six days before the first race skiing our first time. So that's always uh, a bit tough and intimidating especially on a place like Ruka where it's really hard to classic ski on a normal day in the middle of the season so I was I was definitely nervous but really excited and I felt like my training really was starting to come around in the last two weeks before leaving for Europe and so my goal was to come out swinging a little bit harder but I also tend to race myself into shape and so that was the big puzzle for me was like okay I always peak in March how can I ski a bit faster in the early season so that I can make the Olympic team. And fortunately we had a lot of races in period one, which I love. And so I ended up racing a lot and, um, felt like I was really rounding a corner coming into Davos and I got the stomach bug. And so I had to kind of sit out that weekend, which was a bummer, but then Dresden and the tour to ski were really opportunities to keep that stride going. And so it felt really good to finally link together, um, a bunch of races that I felt like I could perform that way that early in the season going into the Olympics. Um, But it's, that took me three years to figure out. I, my first period one on the world cup was, was really tough. Um, And I was really impressed by how the younger girls this year handled it. Like first time on the world cup, first period one, they were already like crushing it. So it is cool to see like how things change from generation to generation over the years.
0: And was that in terms of trying to, to maybe, coming come in swinging or, or peak a little earlier in the season was that like a, a training modification or like what were some of the things that you did to, to set up for that
1: I would say uh I I try to put in more time trials before I went over to Europe so I tend to do well with level four training and like race recover type pattern and often will you know, kind of that naturally happens throughout the season, but I had some specific workouts the two weeks before Europe where I was doing more sprint simulation type workouts or like classic sprinting, grass skiing, so that I would just be ready for Ruka with my hip flexors firing. And, um, we had, fortunately in New England, um, they've been doing a really good job, Nensta, of organizing a lot of roller ski races. And so September we had a roller ski race in Lake Placid, and then we had I think two or three more in the fall I think three or four more in the fall so there's a lot of like roller ski race opportunities which just putting on a race bib and going hard I think for me it does a lot it's a lot different than intervals and I tend to like racing and be better at racing than intervals and so I think just having more emphasis on that um closer to the season was important for me this year um and I also think just like with the schedule, like scheduling and, um, just having good energy coming into the season.
0: So moving into the Olympics, um, you had two, two starts. So the first start was, uh, skiathlon was the first event. Um, and you were 53rd in the skiathlon and then 18th in the, in the freestyle sprint. Can you talk about, you know, I think there's gotta be some expectation versus reality of the Olympic Experience, um, especially for your first Olympics, and in your postseason blog, you kind of called it just a roller coaster of emotions. Um, whether that was sort of, you know, wanting to have different race object or race outcomes, um, or or just you know how you were expecting to feel or or what you were expecting it to be like. Can you talk about just yeah, what were some of the expectations that you had going in or goals going in and. How did maybe their realities differ or align with that? And just what were some of those emotions that you were feeling as you look back on that Olympic experience?
1: So, the Olympic lead up was interesting because I think with COVID, it made everything even more unique. And just being in China, um, it, it was a country none of us had traveled to. And so um, I set my expectations pretty low because I didn't know what to expect. And I also think. Um, the older athletes did a good job of saying like, hey, there are going to be moments that are going to feel really Olympic-like and there are going to be moments where like, oh, wow, this is the Olympics. Like it doesn't feel like this thing that I've grown up watching on TV, imagining in my mind. And I think there's so much buildup, especially in the US, that can be easy to just have this vision in your mind that is really unrealistic or you expect to feel a certain way. But I went in pretty open-minded, especially with COVID and knowing that we were going to be pretty locked down. Um, so I, I didn't really know what to expect, um, going in. I think the skiing was better than I expected. Like the conditions, like I didn't think they were going to be that, that many kilometers of skiing and that good snow, but I also didn't expect it to feel like that slow and that cold and that windy. They had said it's going to be cold and windy, but I had not never experienced anything like that before. And so, uh, that. You, uh, yeah, you can prepare as much as you want, but that that those conditions were just unique. I mean, we were in a desert skiing where there isn't normally snow, but then it ended up snowing while we were there, which was also super unusual. So that was it was really um, unique experience because I didn't know what to expect, and it also wasn't what I expected. But I didn't I didn't have any expectations, and so I just wanted to go in with an open mind. I think I didn't realize how confined the Olympic Village would be. I mean, you could run around the 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 perimeter of the village in about six to seven minutes um, at a jogging pace, and that it was a lot smaller than I thought. And so the first few days, I didn't really notice because I wasn't going for runs or anything like that. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll like bike around campus. And someone was like, yeah. I mean, where our housing is to the bus is. campus and I was like what that's it and so it at times it could it felt very uh entrapped because there were these hills but you couldn't go out of the fence and so you were in this little village but then you're also with a bunch of athletes which was really cool so I think the the village life was not quite what I expected um but it was just different and we had bikes which was like a fun little surprise getting to bike around the village um and like the roller coaster emotions I think was that I had, I, I didn't have like a specific goal like I expect to do this way. Like my goal was to enjoy the experience and try to enjoy, yeah, just the daily life of the experience because it is only three weeks and then it's over. Um, and I, but I also had this belief and confidence in myself that anything really is possible like the underdogs like the olympics are built for underdogs the people coming in with as a favorite they have so much unbelievable amount of pressure to deal with and that is really hard in itself and so i but i had this belief i had been feeling really good in the races earlier in the season i just felt like i needed like another race to catch my stride and so i didn't really want to set any limitation on how i could do and i was incredibly excited for the scaff one i was like I've been skiing well this year I've I've been feeling good in my prep work like this could be a good race I like mass starts and it was a utter disaster um and but that and that was my first Olympic experience which was both like heartbreaking but also eye-opening to things can go wrong out of your control and at the end of the day what was important to me was did I fight and give it my all and I fought so incredibly hard, which made it even harder to swallow, like how with the result um was not what I expected or what I thought I was capable of. And so a combination of conditions and skis just ended up I ended up blowing up I think too early. And so I moving on from that was really hard and confusing because I was like, okay, the sprint was like really what I was eyeing. And but I had a lot of confidence going into skiaff so I was like shoot I I really think with a sprint on a, any good given day, this course suits me well, like it could be a great day. But I, um, I was really proud of how I turned it around and was really excited for the sprint. Again, got my confidence back up and I sent it in the quarterfinal. I took a risk, but I was like, we're at the Olympics. You don't you don't make it to the final without playing it safe. And so I sent it and I went a little bit too hard, but again, I, like, I gave it my all. And so I was happy with that, but it was also um it was over so quickly and so there's just a lot of emotion of I I gave it my all but I also know on a given day I can do better and I think it's possible like to meddle and just having that belief is really cool but it's also really hard when you're like I wasn't even as close as I thought I could be Um, but then it was amazing watching Rosie and Jesse go three, four in the sprint in the final and cheering them on and Ben Ogden in the semifinal. I mean, the whole team had a great day and, um, in 18th place, is something I was really proud of at the Olympics for my first Olympics. So it was just a lot of ups and downs. And then there's a lot of also emotion around starts and believing like what you want to start and what you think you should deserve to start. And the reasoning coaches give or for who gets to start, what start. And so I think that, um, there was a lot of emotion around that for a lot of athletes of even getting a chance to race or getting start in the race they wanted. And then I think also just being so isolated in the COVID bubble, that was the, probably the most difficult thing. Um, we were on a weird sleep schedule and we just weren't interacting with anyone outside of our apartment just because we wanted to make sure everyone stayed healthy. And so, yeah, there's expectations, but then we were in a COVID Olympics is my first Olympics we were in China there was just so and then the weather was crazy there's so many factors where it was it didn't feel like real life and it wasn't real life like it was only three three weeks but everything felt like out of this world like I'm on a different planet like everything is just a bit different yet at the same time we're just ski racing um against the same people with the same type of system the flow is very familiar so um yeah that was really interesting
0: Is there anything looking back that stands out, you know, I'm assuming you're hoping to make another Olympic team during your career and the nature of cross country skiing, many people are able to do that. But is there anything that you're maybe taking away from this first experience that you think will be beneficial in 2026, assuming that you're making that team as well, or do you think it... I mean, it's hard to say, right? Like what, how the world will be different or the same at that point, but, um, obviously different countries and, you know, you've been to this venue before for 2026, but yeah, is there anything that you learned from that first experience that you think will influence you heading into whether it's this next like four year period or just the next Olympics on its own?
1: That's a good question. Uh, I, yeah, I think every Olympics, it sounds like from other athletes too, is vastly different. And then, so who knows if COVID stuff still exists or not. I mean, you're still, we're still going to have to be careful about illness no matter what. So I think that will still be a factor, but being in a place, in a country, in a venue that is familiar, um, I bet will feel maybe a little bit different and more normal in a way. Um, but hopefully in four years, if I make the team, like I'm in a position where, um, I feel like I have expectations and pressure because pressure is a privilege. Um, But also that's in itself really hard to deal with. And that's, I was fortunate in my first Olympics. I was like, oh, I'm here for the experience and I want to race really hard, but I don't feel like I have to perform a certain way. Of course, I want to perform really well, but I didn't have that external expectation from others. And I think in the next go around, I probably will feel that more. So being prepared for that, And I think also staying a little bit looser, I am someone who likes to have balance and have other things going on besides ski racing and keep it fun and like really enjoy the journey. And that was my focus with this Olympics. But I still, I wanted it so badly that I was so focused in training and it was really fun for me, but I've never wanted something so badly. And I was so focus on it that I think it actually like maybe hurt me a little bit because right after the Olympics, I started having breakthrough performances and I was a lot more relaxed in the sense that about like the small things. And so I think, um, remembering that about myself the next time, even though like, I was like, Oh, I'm dedicated. I like want to like sleep well and do everything right. in the lead up so I can maximize my chances. I think ultimately I was, I was almost too focused if that makes sense. Um, so I yeah, I definitely want to remember that and keep it, keep it a little bit looser next time.
0: One of the other things you talked about in that blog post was just the impact of kind of the the cancellations of different world cups. I think the final two world cups before the Olympics were both canceled and you've kind of said a couple of times that like racing is kind of an important part of keeping your peak form or just getting your kind of getting to that peak. And I wonder if that kind of plays in with what you're saying too, of like almost having too much time to focus and be like a little you know versus having the normalcy of like okay here's a world cup and here's our next world cup and then we're going to the olympics kind of thing so i'm wondering if you can yeah talking about having those cancellations and then also just you know the the covid precautions were extreme leading into the olympics and i know there was a lot of fear and stress of just you know getting covid any risk of covid and just just the mental load of all of that um and how that felt heading into that period
1: Yeah. So I think that was probably the most challenging part of leading up to the Olympics for me and like the curveball that I didn't expect. I knew that we were not going to go to Planitza the right before. And I, I've struggled with this with championships in the past because the team wants to do training camps in the lead up. And my ideal prep is race, race, race. And that's, always or that has usually like worked for me and I've never really done a training camp to peak and so for me I knew already going in like that was going to be a little bit different but I thought I was going to have like rue which is three races that's a a lot of races um and the whole tour to ski so I was like okay I might not have plenty but we made a plan and said okay like at least I'm getting quite a bit of racing before then and and I ended up getting sick in the middle of the tour to ski. So that got cut short. And then La Rue and Planitza got canceled. And um, we were worried with Europa Cups being too risky, even though we, we were within driving distance. And so it suddenly went from having a few races to prep to I think I had, I think it was six, potentially like six or seven weeks without racing, or five, I think five or six re- weeks without racing into the lead up to the games which I've never gone that long in the winter without racing, let alone like into my, the biggest races of my life. And so for me, that, that was really daunting. I was like, I don't even know how to build a plan that'll work for me. We're going to altitude. So we're going to be acclimating how much intensity can I handle? I can't simulate races because we're going to be pretty high and we're acclimating. And so I, that was daunting for me. And I think I, something I want to work on in the coming years because every championships, the team will want to do a pre camp and there's not always an opportunity to race, or the World Cup circuit now is often not having World Cups right before because they're so low, lowly attended. But I may be the outlier that likes to race to peak. Um, and that was definitely the biggest challenge for me. And I didn't realize, I guess, this, the, the, how much of a toll maybe the COVID stress took on me. Um, But it makes sense now too, because not this year, but the previous year, the first COVID year, I did not have a good season. And I think it was just accumulation of not having social interactions for a whole year. I get really energized by social interactions and getting out of the ski bubble. Like I go to California for a week and I come back and I'm like bouncing off the walls and like ready to train with my team. And I'm really excited about skiing, but without having a physical and mental break in there and just doing really social things like just hanging out with friends. Um, That's how I recharge. And so that took a toll on me the COVID year and my results suffered that year. And I think this year as well, we had to be really careful on the road. And um, I didn't realize how much of a toll it took until after the Olympics when we loosened up and a little bit, not even a crazy amount. Like We were excited to go into a grocery store with a mask on like that little um that brought me so much energy and fire again that i think that was also really difficult but at the time i didn't really realize because i was just like i don't want to testing is so strict and so at the time there was no other option anyway and i just wanted to we all just were like we just have to make it to china and that will be a success in itself and that was like the state we were in um to give some perspective so I don't know if there's like a solution to it. I think our team does the best it can at keeping things lighthearted on the road, even when we are, have to be really isolating at times. But I think those were the two things that were maybe out of my control, but a really big challenge for me in terms of what helps me normally perform.
0: And you mentioned kind of just feeling really good in that final, final period on the World Cup or final, um, yeah, final series of races on the World Cup and you had some really strong especially in sprints improving almost every weekend right 8th in Lotte 7th in Draman, and 4th in Faloon. and after Falloon we talked to you you called it kind of a bittersweet ending to the season just to be kind of racing so well right at the end and I think said something along the lines of, you know, when things were you were kind of like ready to go home and take a break after the Olympics, but then all of a sudden things were really coming together and it made it harder, right, to 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 go back and to have that season come to an end. So, now kind of looking back that you have have had more time to reflect, how's your perspective kind of changed on the season and and just can you talk a little bit more about how you were feeling in that final uh final phase on the World Cup? Yeah,
1: I've thought about it a lot and I, I like to make sense of things and look at data and find a reason for everything. And I have like my theories, and I think it kind of is motivating me or inspiring like how I'm approaching skiing this year. But I also could be totally wrong and just convincing myself this is what I think works for me. But the last period of racing, when things were starting to come together, I that was what I was starting to feel, um, at the end of period one, like Davos weekend, I had this really good feeling until I got sick and then Dresden it started to come together. And then tour de ski, I was so excited because I was like, I can feel this thing coming on. Like when I pick up momentum, like I can feel it and it like pulls me forward. And then I got sick in the tour. And so I was like, Oh, okay. I got sick again, but like, I'll come back for Leroux and that got canceled. And so I think I'd felt that momentum building throughout the year, but then we had, I had that two month period with the two Olympic starts and that's it. Like I had no place to show that. And so I think it was coming, but I didn't have the opportunity and maybe that's why it came later in the season. Um, and that's kind of been the pattern the last few years where I've, the way I raced in the last period of world cup, I think some people were really surprised um, by my performances, but for me in a weird way, I had this belief and like this feeling of like, I know this is possible. It's just been injury and illness that keep, keep setting me back. I start to get there and then like I get injured or I get sick and then I have to like start building that momentum back. And I think hopefully I can figure out how to get that back quicker, um, with time and figure out okay, I don't need like three race weekends in a row to get there. Um, but so like looking back, I was like, it, it was already like that momentum I think was there. And those races I think would have come maybe earlier, um, had there been races, but there hadn't. So I guess it came at the end of the season, which is better late than never. Um, so it was really fun because it's rare, but like when skiing is feeling good and you feel like you can really dig deep, it's, it's really rewarding. Um, and I, Yeah, I was thankful that I had more races in Whistler and to to show that. And now also looking back, I yeah, I got a little bit looser and relaxed about things in the last period. I I spent a lot more time like running around. I don't even know doing like we were playing like card games in the hallway with masks on and I was like going to the store or like exploring town and like grabbing a coffee to go and walking. And so I spent like more time on my feet, more time being active and the skier Focused person to me is like, oh, this is going to tire me out for the races, but I think it energizes my soul and like my mind more than it makes me tired. And so again, it was like a reminder. And I think also like I had a lot of back pain around the Olympics. And I think that started to go away because I was just more active in the daily life instead of just like sitting in my hotel room bed all the time. Um, and so just keeping that in mind that like, I need those social interactions to be energized and. Um, and there's ways to do it safely with COVID too, like playing masks, with, like playing games with masks on, or like walking around town and taking my camera out more and taking pictures and being inspired by the places we get to travel. Um, and so I, that's like what I wanna keep in mind for this coming year. And also just in training in general, I'm trying to have more of this like train and be really focused and then go in the easy week and like go visit my sister or go hang out with friends. Um, or take a week to travel so that I keep coming back energized mentally and physically for each training block and I think that kind of balance hopefully we'll see if it works um, will make really productive sessions um, when I need to be focused in training and the weeks where, or like the easy days where I can be more relaxed and getting energized by doing the social things that I like to do
0: kind of riding that momentum I guess into the the final races of the season in Whistler so you were second to Jesse in the 5k but otherwise won the three remaining events were you approaching those as kind of just like a a fun victory lap or what was kind of your objective and and just what what role do those races play in looking back at your season
1: I was actually really nervous for the 5k because I mean, we had all internationally traveled at pretty much everyone. So everyone was kind of all turned around, but, um, I was like, oh, okay, I've been, I've been racing well, but there's like all these U S people who are also racing really well. And I feel like I have to prove myself right now, but I'm, Really tired from all the racing we just did in travel, but everyone's in the same boat. So I, I remember being pretty nervous because like, I think some of the most nervous I've been at like is us nationals or where I really feel like I have something to lose. We're on the world cup. Like you need to have like a really good day to do really well. And obviously like you have expectations, but I think sometimes when you're like expected to do really well or feel that way it's like a lot more nerve wracking. So I was really nervous for the five k. It's like, man, I feel really tired. I don't know how this is going to go, especially a five K where you have to be gunning for it. Um, but then, yeah, like when the, once the races started, it was like really fun to be back with my club team. Again, we were living in a house. Um, and so it was just like a much more like family style living and just in my club suit and working with my club coaches again and um, seeing people from the domestic circuit. I hadn't seen in a while and all like there were so many um young skiers there I hadn't been like to a a domestic like Canadian U.S. race in years and so um I was just really fired up to see such a large community come together and do some races at home I mean it's Canada but feels like home um at a level that's really competitive but also fun and there are kids of all ages racing so I think it was not definitely not a victory lap. I was um, really focused racing hard and um, just wanting to see how far I can push myself and see what was possible. I mean, like every race I was like, I don't know how this is going to go, but I'm going to give my all. And um, I'd never done a 45 K before. And so, and I actually was like getting sick that day. i was like, do I even race? But I really want to, I'm feeling good. So it was like, definitely like a roller coaster at the end, but such a fun way to end the season, especially with my team and like the team sprint and Um, just coming back together with the people I trained with most of the year to prepare for the season to race and celebrate Ian and Catherine's retirement, um, all together as a team was really special. So, uh, I, yeah, that was a really fun way to end the season and a great way to kind of reflect on the season and keep the momentum going while I still had it. (laughs) And taking kind of
0: another step back, just Thinking about your career overall, so your first World Cups were in March 2017 in Quebec, and I think you raced some, some early season World Cups that next season and um a little more the following season. But 1920 is kind of the season that seemed like a real breakthrough season, and then as you said, like that first COVID year, which I guess is 2021, um, you had I think you had some injuries cropping up, and that was a little bit of a setback. I think you expressed some disappointment in that season and just that it wasn't exactly what you were looking for and in just looking back over your career so far what do you see as some of the noteworthy highs and lows and what are some of your takeaways in terms of navigating the transition to professional skiing and and just like making that transition to racing consistently and and performing well at the world cup level
1: Yeah. So back in Quebec, my first world cup started, that was world cup finals and I just sent it and made the heats and was like, Whoa, that's crazy. Okay. Let's go. Um, So that was really exciting. But then I start, so then that fall. So the following period one, I went on to world cup and the coaches were like, okay, we want you to come and learn from the older athletes. Um, Because this was, I think maybe Keegan and Liz's last or second to last, I think like second to last year. Um, so that whole generation was still there, but except for Holly, I guess she had already retired, but, um, the coaches wanted me to learn from them because there was such a big age gap to like the next people and, um, they were going to retire soon. And there's a lot of knowledge, I think Keegan and the team have built up of like these venues and how to race them and just world cup life. How do you live out of a suitcase for four and a half months on the road and, um, make it feel like family and all that stuff. So I went over period one and I had been injured, I believe that whole fall. So I like, wasn't in, I think I elbow surgery that year. So it wasn't like in a, in like the best form of the coach to like, come over, like just get the experience. And it was a tough, rude awakening. Um, I, yeah, I did not have the races I wanted and was got, I ended up being sick on and off the whole season. I think it was like my first year in Europe with all the European bugs. So I kept getting these colds and, um, so then I did some more Europa cup racing and took a step back. And then the following year I came back over again, period one was really hard, uh, but started to get the hang of it later in the season. Um, and so it just took, yeah, it, it took some time to one, like link together consistent performances, but there's just no margin of error. Like you have to ha- be having a good day when you're first on the world cup to score the points. And then now like I have more experience and I think the big difference too, is just the confidence that I have coming into world cups. And I think getting that world cup podium in Planitza in 2019 was uh, a big confidence builder. It's like, okay, I can see it's possible. And I wasn't, I was racing really well then, but like, it wasn't like I had some like magical one-off day. Like I felt like that was, like repeatable if, um, things linked up together. And so seeing that, I was like, okay, it's, it's possible. I've, I've done it before. And yeah, maybe there's some luck involved with like crashes or whatever, but it's not beyond reach. And so I think my belief was there. And so just, I had to just link the performance together. And I think on the World Cup, especially in sprint heats, you need to come in with confidence and belief of like, I'm moving on. And like, there's no doubt about that. Um so I think that was really important to figure out on the World Cup and just to like see okay like even if things aren't perfect I can I I have the ability to podium. Um and I think also um the team sprint in Dresden with S- Sophie we were like in a lunge for second third fourth once and so again like a close call there. Um and scoring some distance points here and there as well um, in Davos and in Falun, those were also confidence builders of it's, I can do it. It's just the consistency that needs to be there. Um, I'd say some of the lows were definitely injuries and illnesses. Um, and that's like always been my, I would say like what I struggle the most with and I'm still figuring out, I'd say last year was probably the year, first year the most healthy I've been or consistently healthy um and so yeah I think coming back and just the whole COVID year like just continuing to fight and believe in myself and not have the performances like I'm doing everything I can I took easy weeks I took two weeks off I was like training maybe like I need to train more um and I was fighting like like and I just didn't give up and the performances just weren't there and I think when you are working really hard and feel like you're mentally in it, but your body isn't, that's really hard to to navigate and figure out um, midseason. And then I think, yeah, I mean, injuries are always really hard. <laughs> yeah,
0: and it, just the the kind of mental mental side of that, um, you know, whether it's kind of reframing after the 2021 World Championships, you just raced that classic sprint qualifier, and I think. I think you did an interview with Faster Skier after that and we're kind of like, you know, it's like three minutes and it was over and you're coming out of a season that was sort of, dis- you know, had some challenges or you felt a little disappointed by. And did those experiences in retrospect kind of help you with just wrapping your head around the Olympics this season or, or just in general kind of help you be able to sort of like compartmentalize and move past and maintain the belief heading into the next, whether it's the next season or the next set of World Cups or races or, or whatever.
1: Yeah. I think that season as brutal as it was to ride it out, cause I just felt like nothing I was doing was like moving the needle. Like I was, whatever I tried wasn't working. Like all the, all the little tricks I have done to like get myself out of a rut didn't work. And, um, that was really, really hard to go through, but I think I also learned a lot about myself in that year, um, like, how I need some, like, family and friends time, and, like, happiness for me does equal fast a lot of the time, um, but also, I think in that year, I, like, learned to appreciate the skiing lifestyle, and remember that results, if, like, results in the end, like I want to race well and be as fast as I can be. But in the end, like if I'm not enjoying the process, even when like the results aren't there, it's really hard to sustain a ski career or something that I don't want to be doing if I don't enjoy the process regardless of the results. And so in that year, I really tried to, despite having really frustrating races, like enjoy the lifestyle on the road and the places I was going and, make the best of the opportunities and it reminded me that yes i still want to do this even if i'm like even if i have a bad year or if i have a bad race it doesn't my joy from the sport doesn't come from a podium and i learned that with my first world Cup podium too it's like you think the world changes but it's life goes on and you're like oh that was like it it didn't even feel like anything And, and that's sometimes really hard to realize at first. because you're like, wow, I've sacrificed so much and worked so hard for something like this. But a lot of athletes will say that. It, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a brief moment where you're on the podium and then you continue and you continue racing and you continue with your life and nothing, you, nothing has changed. And so I think like enjoying the process was like the big thing that I took away. So that's why this year I was like, really like enjoy the journey. Like, I did my Julia journeys, like buff print to remind me of that too. Like every day that like, enjoy the process of this. And I think that year gave me that perspective and also like how to be a good teammate when things are not going well. Um, I like was very mindful of that and tried really hard to figure out how I like can still be the upbeat person that I am around others, even if I am having a hard time. And that doesn't mean that I need to like not be sad sometimes or like have a bad day, but like, how can I support the team even and be a part of the team and contribute to the team, even if it's not my own results. And so at world champs, like that year, my highlight was testing skis um, with Kate Barton, like one of the t- uh, coaches in techs, for the athletes, because I'm like, I am not racing fast enough right now to be racing on this relay or this 30 K, but I can go help test skis or help in the start pen or whatever. And so I got a lot of value out of that and just like being there for the team. Um, so I think I, I walked away learning how to like be on the team with failure or just disappointment and like how to still be, um, a good teammate around others,
0: and I think kind of those qualities are a lot of. You were you were named this year's recipient of the the Gold Rush Award for us now U.S. Nordic Olympic women, and um, in talking with Allison Bradley, she was she was you know just saying that the that grit and grace, are really kind of the qualities that those awards are based on, that perseverance and that being able to kind of move past and, and work through and really um, come out the other side, even after setbacks and. Um, I'm hoping you can kind of talk about just you know what that award means to you and and just what are some of the your the aspects of of your approach to sport that you take pride in?
1: Yeah, so I was super honored to be given the award, especially from um it, like the my peers or my, I guess people I've looked up to mentors were the ones who kind of selected it. and so i was I was really honored. and I think um, the award means a lot to me and I think to the community to have the U.S. uh, Now Women's Group. I think that's um, a really special thing to be a part of. And um, yeah, for me, I think grit and grace is very much what I live by is um, working really hard, um, working together with people to raise each other up, not bring each other down. And um, so just being a good teammate and pushing hard to become better. And um, I'm very vocal about overcoming injury and not needing to be I have perfect training and I've been fortunate to have a lot of those setbacks to learn that things don't need to be perfect to go well and I've had so many instances where I'm reminded of that of you make the best of the cards you're dealt and what you're given and you can control what you can control but the rest you just have to work around and be flexible and so I think um, as frustrating as my injuries have been I'm really grateful to have had those setbacks because I've learned a lot more about myself because I've been forced into situations where I have to no pole ski for a while, or I can't run, or I have to just take a few weeks off. And so I've, I've done all the different things you can do and seen that in the end, it will work out if you work hard and you have a surround yourself with a good support system and a team that will support you and you support them. And that goes back to why I really love being part of the SMS T2 team. And I think It's an environment where I can be really supported and pushed and everyone brings something different to the table. Um, And so for me, like the word, yeah, it means being a good teammate, a good person, a good athlete and overcoming adversity um, and doing it in a way that hopefully helps others as well.
0: Last thing I want to ask you about is just kind of life outside of training and racing. Um, It seems like you've kind of mentioned, you know, how getting your camera out and walking around and taking more pictures is just a helpful kind of outlet for you. And um, I know, you know, photography is something that you've seemed like you've really leaned into and um, explored a lot. And you also work with the Pastimes app. And it also seems like maybe you're putting, you know, putting some time into social media and just kind of building, you know, that aspect of life as a professional af- athlete as well. So can you talk a little bit about how some of these other athletes just, or sorry, some of these other outlets help you kind of create sustainability and, and balance in your lifestyle and, um, career as a professional skier?
1: Yeah. The transition from being a full-time college student and ski racer to just full-time skiing, um, is was definitely, uh, interesting, but because I had work on the side, I think it was a lot smoother than I expected. Um, I've always liked to be really busy and, um, that just like keeps my energy going and I focus at training, but when I'm done training, then I like to do other things and so I'm not just thinking about how good or how bad the session was or overthink things too much. And so, Um, It's been really important for me to have other outlets and feel like also when skiing isn't going well, then I have something else I feel like I'm moving forward in. And so the year where I wasn't racing as well in the World Cup um, two years ago, I ended up doing a lot more photography, I realized, because I think it was just a way of getting out and being creative. And even if the results in skiing weren't there, I was enjoying where I was and um, also just challenging myself in other ways and expressing myself. And capturing life on the road and just the places we get to travel. Um, and along those lines too, I like, remember I took like two weeks completely off on the road. So I was like, I don't, I don't know what else to do at this point. And I just like dove deep into this uh, design project for pastimes. And um, I, I feel like I'm like a hundred percent whenever I do something. And so sometimes I get like too one one, one-sided, but um, yeah. So I, I really like having other things going on that Challenge me and make me more well-rounded person, but also just gives me energy because I'm doing something else besides skiing and training. I love that, but I think um, having other things going on in your life is super important for me personally. And then I've also put a lot more time into social media recently, just because I would like to ski for many more years and uh, make this a sustainable career. And so along with like loving to do photography and video, it it comes naturally to do more on social media and and share what I'm doing and share my story. And in an authentic way, I think, I hope that um, I come off authentic and I, I like to just like show what, what I'm up to and how like skiing can look different for everyone in the lifestyle and share that, how fun it can be or how, much of it brings me joy at least in the way I do it so I've been working towards that and I think also just working towards sponsorships and brand identity and um building a brand um I actually enjoy because I think I want to go into marketing someday so it 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 all kind of comes hand in hand and um it's been fun to have something else besides skiing going on as well in the background yeah
0: it's it's kind of an interesting part I think of you know, an athletic career now is, is that social media component. And um, yeah, are there, are there things you're kind of mindful of in terms of like how you want to present yourself or, or specific, you know, things you want to either, you know, be an ambassador for or anything like that that you, you want to try to bring to the forefront through that platform? As hopefully yeah, goes. I've
1: been thinking about that a lot more lately because, um, well, I'm considering starting a vlog, which we'll see if that happens. Um, but yeah, I I think like things often seem really curated and I, I love like photography. So like, I like to make my images look beautiful, but I don't want them like to distort reality in any way. Um, and obviously a lot more of like the positives are shown on social media, but I'm also very like happy, like, excited on life person and people say like oh you post more when you're like it seems like you're really happy and I'm like huh okay maybe I need to do a better job like posting when I'm having hard days too Um, so that's something like I want to work more towards of like sharing also the harder days or the harder stories and um, just I think sharing life behind the scenes too to show like it's not just like training or it's not just uh, like trips to places, like there's a lot more to the lifestyle than, than it seems maybe. Um, But I think authenticity is really important and always like something that a lot of us on the team are discussing is, okay, how can we share what we're doing in a way that's like inspiring younger women or like also tackling the harder conversations. Um, And so I'm, I've really struggled with breathing issues for a long time. And I think I'm going to share more of that In the coming weeks on social media, because I feel like it's a platform um, that reaches a lot of people. And I've been also thinking about like other things that I want to speak out about. Um, But I think each person has their own thing that they feel strongly about. And I think, yeah, I think body image is always really hard on social media and just seeing that. And I think for me, like, I just made a post about like, Being strong, our team lifting in the gym, and a lot of times people are afraid of that. And I like something I like empowers me, and I want other people to not be afraid of that, of having muscles and being really strong. I think that's like an incredible thing. And so, continuing to push those messages forward and mental health is important, and um, being being real as possible, Um, but also just sharing like the fun lifestyle that I think like if young young skiers are like, oh, I might want to do this someday, they can see you like. Or get a glimpse into what it's like and be like, hey, this seems pretty cool um, if we get more people into skiing. (laughs)
0: Um, Anything else that I didn't ask that you wanted to get to before we wrap up? I think that was all. You had great questions. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Thanks for listening. If you enjoy the content you consume on Faster Skier, we encourage you to consider supporting us with a voluntary subscription with price set at your own discretion. Learn more at fasterskier.com slash support. You can also rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast or share it with a friend or ski buddy who might also enjoy it.